and uh, Yellow Flavosinus, if you can, get the book of Amos, please. We're going to begin in Amos chapter 5. What a blessing to see all these young people heading off to learn the Bible. Isn't that good? I don't know about you, that's always exciting for me to see all those little people heading out to have the Word of God open to them. All right, we're in Amos chapter 5, and this morning we are beginning our series on tricky topics. And uh, this morning what we're going to talk about is music, but a specific type of music. And when I say specific, I mean more of the, the venue and not a genre, right? We're going to talk about church music. So this is not a comprehensive lesson on all music that you might potentially listen to in your car or in your home, things you might sing to yourself in the shower. We, have, we, we don't want to know, right? That's your business. We're not going to talk about all of that, just church music. As I introduced to you last week, these tricky topics are, are things that relate to the church, not to all of life. Just some things we don't often get to exhaustively talk about. So church music, we're going to be in Amos 5 in a moment. Let me just make a couple introductory comments for this topic. There are those that say that the Bible teaches nothing about genre or style of music. In other words, the Bible doesn't mention R&B, jazz, rap, country, music, those kind of things. And to that I say amen. It does not mention any specific genres. However, that does not mean that the Bible has nothing to say about this topic. The Bible certainly does. It's going to give us some biblical principles that are, are going to help point us in the right direction. I think you guys are well aware. I don't need to tell any of you this. doesn't matter which church you grew up in or how many churches you visited. You know this is true. Churches today, all over the world, not just South Africa, they are all over the map when it comes to music. There are extremes to this, right? You'll find some churches where you still have the old pipe organ and it, you walk in, and if you were to just close your eyes, you'd swear you got into a time machine, went a thousand years back in the past, and there's like a Gregorian chant going on, and it's just, you know, maybe different for, for a lot of us. I grew up, actually. That was the church music I grew up on, was a pipe organ. When they finally brought an actual piano into the church, we had about a hundred people leave because they said, you're going contemporary, so... <laughs> Now, I was raised Roman Catholic, and that, you know, there's a whole other story behind why that was so strange. So that's one side, you know, very, very old-fashioned. And then you had really struggled to tell the difference between a rock concert or, you know, rhythm and blues, jazz festival, whatever. You, you struggled to tell the difference between that church music and a rock concert. I actually had that happen one night in Malawi. We couldn't sleep all night. They had the music going real loud. And I we lived just across the street from a big hotel. And I called the hotel management and said, you know, it was about 10 p.m. I said, could you guys lower the music because it is so loud. It's shaking our windows. And I said, we can't sleep. And they said, boss, it is not us. We are not playing music. I said, what? Where, do you know where it's coming from? He said, I don't know, but it is bothering our guest as well. I said, okay, so I asked around, you know, I called a couple of other places I thought that would be playing that kind of music, very loud, very, I want to say obnoxious, for lack of a better term. Well, I didn't find out the whole night who it was. The next day I found out about, I don't know, six kilometers or so down the road, there was a Pentecostal church having a big music festival all night. Well, see, I couldn't tell the difference. So that's maybe another extreme. 
So we, I think we need to stay away from the extremes, all right? However, I think maybe the knee-jerk reaction is to go right down the middle and go, okay, well, let's just, not that, not that, let's just choose one kind of music, one thin line that we draw right down the middle, and then we'll be okay. I think that's a mistake as well. I think, I think it is a bit extreme to draw one thin line and say this style, this tune, this, I think in the middle, right? We want to be balanced on this. But in the middle, it's not one thin line. There's a bit of a gray area when it comes to music. And it's very difficult to say this is the only thin black line going, that's the only kind. I, I've been now in Canada. I've been in over 200 churches in America. I've, I've been in a church in London. I've been in India in several churches. Been in Malawi, Zambia, Zimbabwe, South Africa. I've seen how a lot of different churches do it. Guys, I've heard good music in all those places. And they all sounded a little different, right? So I, I'm saying let's try to aim for the middle to be balanced, but let's not narrow it down so thinly that we have no room to get a blessing from some other style than what we're used to, right? Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say this, every bad thing in this world is a good thing twisted. Every bad thing in this world is a good thing twisted. And I think that wonderfully explains what's going on with music. Music is a very powerful tool. It is a very good thing. Obviously, God created it. Before the foundation of the world, did you know that the angels up in heaven were singing? The Bible tells us this in Job chapter 38. And when God began to create, it says the morning stars sang for joy. So singing's been around literally longer than time. Singing is a very powerful thing, but you twist it and it can become a very powerful tool in the hands of, of our spiritual enemies to get us pointed in the wrong direction. And that's why it's important as a church to discuss it. Why do we do it the way we do it and hopefully get some good, uh, a good handle on our approach. So Amos chapter 5, let's get verse number 21. While I was away, I did not... I did not have the opportunity to listen to every lesson and sermon that was taught here, but I did follow along as much as I could. And I know that uh, Brother Garrett, he took you through several of the minor prophets. And uh, so you, I hope that you're already familiar with somewhat of the context here. But you know Israel, they're backslidden, they're struggling, God is upset with them. They are still going to the temple, they are still sacrificing, they're going through the motions, but their heart is not in it. In the book of Isaiah, it's written like this, that with your lips you do honor me, but your heart is far from me. Amos 5 verse 21, God says, I hate, I despise your feast days. That's strong language. He didn't say I'm a little displeased. He didn't say, oh, shame, you could do that better. He said, I hate it. I despise your feast days. Quick question, who set up the feast days? this same God that says, I hate them. It's not the feast day itself, the Passover, what we know as Pentecost, right? The Feast of Weeks, Tabernacles. It's not that he hates the concept of them. He hates the way these people are handling those very important days. He says at the end of verse 21, I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. So they bring the sacrifices. He says, I'm not even gonna take a whiff. Verse 22, though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, 
I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. All of those things, guys, all of those offerings, God commanded them to be given, and now he's saying, I don't want any part of it. Why? It's because they were, they were doing the right things the wrong way. They, and it wasn't, it wasn't that they got the newest, most contemporary goat to sacrifice. They didn't get the latest model of sheep to sacrifice. The problem was the heart. Verse 23, watch this. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. He, he called their songs noise. There's a lot of songs, amen, that I would just call noise. He says, take that noise away from me. For I will not hear the melody of thy vials. Now that word vials, that can stand in the place of pretty much any instrument. He's referring to stringed instruments in this case, but we get the point here. He's not condemning the use of this instrument and saying instead of that, use this, right? You can find in the Bible where the same instrument can be used for God and also can be used to worship false gods, right? So it's not the instrument, it's what you're doing with it. But notice that he makes mention of the melody, the tune, the tone. Even that God is paying attention to. He says, I don't want to hear it. Take it away from me. Now, there's two approaches to this verse. Number one, you can say that the Israelites were still going to the temple, but they had changed the melody of the song or songs, and instead of playing a pleasant melody, a godly melody, if you wanted to say it that way, they had put a little spin on it, updated it, and now they're playing a worldly carnal melody, right, the tune, and God said, I, the lyrics are fine, but I hate the way you're singing it. Now, here's the problem with that. There's no evidence, historically, biblically, that they showed up singing the old-time lyrics with a new beat, right? So I struggle to give that interpretation for this. Rather, we have in the book of Psalms, in the latter half of the book of Psalms, you'll see it written above verse 1 in like Psalm 121, 122, 23, 20, all the way down. It's called the, a song of degrees, a song of degrees. And as the Jews would approach the temple, they would start to walk up steps, and every time they'd take a step and get to the next step, they'd sing another one of those psalms. Psalm 121, sing this. Another step, Psalm 122, and up they'd go. David did command that this particular psalm, y'all say psalm, you should use this and that instrument. So, so we do, you see how the Bible does narrow it down some, but David never said, put it to a 4-4 beat or put it to a jazz beat. Or, you see, he didn't narrow it that finely. So rather, I think what was happening, what we read about in history, the Israelites were still going to the temple. They were still singing the Psalms of David, the Songs of Degrees, but their heart wasn't right. They were saying the right words, but their heart did not mean what they were singing. Watch this. And, and I'm purposely, I'm intentionally starting with this point. Before we ever talk about, should we use a more contemporary beat? Should we stick to old-fashioned? Before we ever talk about that, let's get it right. You can sing songs from 300 years ago. Sing it to an old-fashioned tune on a piano with an expert drummer in the background just going to town. 
You can sing it our way and still be very wrong. Does that, does that make sense? Because if you stand there and sing the right words with a, with a not the, with a right tune, if you don't mean what you're singing, if you don't sing it with joy, if you don't sing it with all your heart, if you don't sing it unto the Lord, if you just go through the motions of singing it and don't pay attention to what you're doing and what that means, I think you fall into Amos 5, don't you? Isn't that exactly what Israel was doing? They were showing up, going through the motions, but they didn't mean it. Their lips were singing and saying the right things, but their heart wasn't in it. And God said, get that out of here. I don't want that. Guys, it is difficult. We have to, we have to keep our heart with all diligence. Isn't that what the book of Proverbs teaches us? Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We studied that Thursday night a little bit, didn't we? We sang this hymn this morning, beautiful hymn. I, I hope you watched the words, Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His power and His love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Let's, let's just take that verse and do this. Just a quick, quick piece of advice. When you sing, especially in church, do this. Picture yourself standing before the Lord. Consider this warm-up for heaven. One day, this is how it's going to be. You know, in Revelation 5, it tells us what's going on in heaven. It actually tells us in Revelation 5 what we're going to do in heaven. You know what's going to happen right after we get there? We're probably going to shout and praise God and, and have a, just have a time looking around. And then the Bible says we are going to sing to the Lamb a new song. So you might as well get this right now. Get, just get it straightened out now. Picture yourself standing before the Lord. That's all you got to do. Don't worry about Armand or the, you know, Pastor Mike or somebody else standing here. There's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the Father next to him. There's the seven spirits around the throne. You know, Revelation 4 and 5. And now you have this angelic choir. You got the 24 elders. You got the four living beasts. And they're singing out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And we might even get around to singing that song sometime. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning our song shall rise to that you can't sing that holy holy it doesn't work can you see how that kind of song you can easily put yourself in the heavenly throng in that crowd and push everything else that's been going on in your life push it out some of you've had a rough week you need you know what you need to do blow out all the junk with a good nice hearty song <laughs> put yourself just take yourself right it, what I can see is I'm in law school belly park now. But I'm going to sing by faith. I'm going to sing as if I'm already there. One preacher, one evangelist, he used to sing. He's now in heaven singing probably the same thing. But he said, I'm already over on the other side waiting on my brand new body. I'm sitting up there in the heavenly fair at the right hand of the Father. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm living in Christ, you see. I'm already there in Jesus. I'm waiting on my body to be. 
oh man, see, you sing that and mean it, that changes the way you take your next step in this world. So I'm saying the first thing we need to study as it pertains to church music has nothing to do with music. <laughs> it has to do with your heart. Give me these two options. <clears throat> Somebody that has more of an old-fashioned approach, right? Simple, let's call it simple approach. Singing songs that approves, but they have no heart. And then you give me more of the upbeat contemporary, you know, Praise what what yellow yellow mesquin can say the happy clappy. You, know. you give me that guy who's a, I'm not comfortable with that beat, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But you give me that guy who's you know he's he's a bit more, woo, but he means it. I'll take that every time. I'll take that every time, because the Father seeks true worshipers that'll worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Let's come to Ephesians chapter 5. All right, I'm going to start preaching instead of teaching here. So let's come to Ephesians 5. Let's talk a little further about music, give you just a couple of biblical precepts here. Ephesians 5, verse 19. And by the way, if we do not finish today's lesson on music, I am not going to rush through these things. Right? Right? Can we read verse 18? <clears throat> so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hostile about this. I don't want to rush and just get, give you all the verses so that we've covered it. If we need next week as well, we'll take it, right? We're only waiting on the rapture. <laughs> right? We're only waiting on the rapture, so I'm not worried. Maybe if we stall long enough, he'll come. <laughs> then you'll learn about singing, amen. <laughs> Tune for who, for who. <laughs> it won't matter. Ephesians 5:18 and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but biblical command be filled with the spirit no full stop at the end of that sentence do you see that but be filled with the spirit the next thing he says is speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your what to the who you see why I started where I did? Get the heart right, sing it unto the Lord. You get that right, and you've got the important things, the belongriste dinga, they're there. Now, what kind of music does Paul say to use? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Commentators, preachers, teachers, theologians for years have been trying to make a, a, a lecker division between those three things. Myself as well, I've tried to put definitions on it. I think they all blend together. Guys, you ever do this? You ever try to explain something to someone and you know three words that explain the same thing? <laughs> so you just put all three of them out there. I kind of think that's what Paul's doing. You might be able to make some small distinctions. Let me give them to you. Psalms would be spiritual poetry put to music, right? Put to an instrument. Hymns, you could narrow that down to say songs that celebrate God, right? And, and I only say that because some people, you know, they see that in the Greek word and so forth. I, 
I think, I think hymns can even have a sad tone to them, so I'm not so sure it only celebrates, but hymns may be a little more narrow, that they have a particular function to either celebrate or mourn or whatever. And then spiritual songs, guys, that's a wide category. That's a wide category. That's anything that's not carnal, <laughs> right? Spiritual, anything that is, let's say, in agreement with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would lead you to say and to sing. That would be a spiritual song. I've, I've had people say that, I've said this, that maybe scripture that you put to music, that could qualify as a pasalem. I like that idea because I hope you do this. I hope you practice this. Take the book of pasalems, go home and sing it. Oh, it helps you memorize it. it. It does, and that's the way it was intended to be used. It's a lovely exercise for your heart and for your lips. Now, this idea of spiritual songs, let's, let's talk about that for a moment. A spiritual song is obviously on the other end of the spectrum from a carnal song. What would a carnal or a fleshly or a worldly song do? That would move you towards carnal and worldly things. It would get you excited about worldly carnal things. Make sense? So what does a spiritual song do? It moves you, it stirs you, it gets you excited about, gets you in the mood for the things of God, the Spirit of God. Do you understand? Now, I'm going to throw this idea out there, kind of we're, we're bunny trailing a little bit here. What about a love song? You know, there are songs out there where it's a man singing about how he loves his wife. Is there anything wrong with that? You see? It, that's not a worldly thing. And when I say worldly, I'm talking about the wickedness of the world. That's not a wicked thing. That is not a, a product of the sinful nature of our flesh. So somebody singing a love song is not necessarily moving you towards a bad thing, right? At my daughter's wedding, they, they used a song by John Legend. Now, the older crowd's probably going, John who? <laughs> But the younger crowd, you probably know this guy, right? Okay, I see some of you older folks are faking it now going, yeah, me too, me too. I know. <laughs> you have no idea. Don't even try it. Don't even try it. I downloaded just that one song from John Legend. I think it is a fantastic song. It, I do not think it falls in the category of a spiritual song, nor do I think it falls into the category of a wicked, sinful, carnal song because it doesn't push me. It doesn't. It doesn't get me going towards something sinful. It is a very nice expression about how I feel towards my wife. I like that. Now, the song I'm referring to, I think, you know, All of Me, I am not even going to attempt to sing it for you. <laughs> but every time I hear it, obviously it, it expresses love for my wife. That's how I take the song. But I also think of my daughter's wedding, which... Who wouldn't want to think of that beautiful day, right? You say, well, where is there anything in the Bible that would suggest it's okay to do that? The Song of Solomon. It's a love song written by a man for his wife. Did you know the name God doesn't show up one time in that book? <laughs> now, listen, I, I've spoken about Song of Solomon many times. There are so many lessons about the Lord Jesus Christ that you can learn in there. It is a very powerful book, but on its surface, it was a love song. From a man to his wife, not to his girlfriend. Yep. <laughs> Amen. 
Amen. Now watch, you see, every good thing, in, every bad thing in this world is a good thing twisted. You take that song that is meant for a wife, right, meant for your spouse, and then apply that, you jump the gun and start singing that to your girlfriend. That might get you in trouble. Now we're back to the heart. See why that's so important? So I, I, I'm trying to be as, as honest and open about this subject as I can be, but what, at the end of the day, you're going to have to ask yourself, this song that I'm listening to, now, this applies to what you listen to throughout the week, in your car, in your home, singing in the shower, all of that, and it also applies to what we're singing in church. Towards what does that music move you? Does that music help you towards righteousness, truth, holiness, God, right? Or does it move you closer towards accepting and being comfortable with worldliness and the sinful nature of your flesh because certain music even though the lyrics may not be bad the music the the sound of it might make you a little more comfortable and get you one step closer to the wrong stuff you need to be mindful of that we'll talk more about that in a moment in verse number 19 can I bring your attention to one word at the very beginning speaking speaking what's the verse about singing you know where he starts speaking because there is a connection between singing and speaking singing is a form of communication and some of you listen if you're one of those folks I'm trying to think of a very delicate way but I'm not so much worried about political correctness let me just say it straight if you cannot carry a tune in a bucket you may want to talk your way through the song rather than sing it. <laughs> Just know your limits, amen. <laughs> know your limits. I want you to see that Paul recognizes singing is a form of communication. Let me make this statement. Tell me if this is true. Maybe you've said this before. It's not just what you say. It's how you say it. Amen. Husbands, wives, Ever been there? Oh yeah, you said you love me. But when you said those words, you were not saying I love you, right? Because it's not just what you say. I love you. <laughs> That's not the same, right? It's not just what you say. It's how you say it. So how about this? It's not just what you sing. It's how you sing it. Does that make sense? The tune, the tone of voice makes a difference. Because music expresses what we think and feel it falls under the category of communication therefore let me give you a couple facts about communication these things have been scientifically tested right documented this is true you don't even need science for this we know this already instinctively as human beings when we communicate to each other Clay and Babaki, they they start to figure this out from a young age Communication is more than just the words that you say. They break it down like this. Some experts put it into, this, into these percentages. 55% of what you're communicating is nonverbal. You understand? 55% is not the words you're saying. It is body language. How, how, if, if you stand like this, right? If you stand like this, I've... I've uh, watch seminars online public speaking you know they say don't don't stand like this when you're public speaking because it shows the crowd that you're closed off from them and that you're not being open and honest you need to open your arms like this and 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 stand tall so that you look confident you look welcoming and 
they recognize the power of body language. 55%. Ladies, when your husband comes home and you roll your eyes, you've said a lot. <laughs> body language. They say a picture's worth a thousand words. Your body is constantly changing. It's a picture and it's a motion picture. <laughs> 55%. 38% is, I'm going to say vocal, but not in the words. It's in your tone, right? It's the how you say it part. So you can say it in an angry way. You can say it in a happy way and all of those emotions. That comes through in your tone. So that leaves, that's 93% of what you're trying to communicate has nothing to do with the words of your sentence, <laughs> 7%, that leaves 7% is actually caught up in what the text of your message is. That is why SMSing and WhatsApping, although convenient, can be tricky. That's why they created emojis. It is. Because how do I express to this person what I'm feeling when I said this? I don't want them to mistake this line as something serious. So, wink emoji, I'm joking. <laughs> They recognize the power of how you say it. Are the lyrics of a song important? Absolutely. I'm going to show you some scripture now. Very, very important. However, it's not just what you say. It's not only the lyrics that we have to be careful of. Think of it like this. The lyrics, that's the, the words. The music, the tune, the melody, that is the body language of the, of the song. That is the body language of what we're communicating to each other and to God. So I'm going to say that the, the body of the song, the tune of it, we can't ignore it. It is not the only factor, but it is a factor for sure. Let me link it to another form of communication within the church. And... This is so wide open. It, it takes me down another path. I don't want to go too far down it, but it's important to say it. All of us have preferences in the style of the preachers that we listen to, right? This is where it gets very tricky. You may not like my style, so maybe hold all of your emotions until you get home, right? Don't smile, don't laugh, don't frown, don't do anything. Just <laughs> sit there quiet. Hold your breath until I'm done with this point. I'll go quick. When we preach, right, God not only tells us what to say. But did you know that God tells us how to say it as well? There are commands in the Bible where God says, prophet so-and-so, say this and say it like this. I'll just read them to you. You know, Isaiah 58, 1. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. God says to Isaiah, cry aloud. Sound off like a trumpet. Well, there's a command, not just what to say, show them their sins, rebuke them, but how to say it. Aggressive, loudly. You see that? Ezekiel 6, verse 11, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord God. <laughs> this is the prophet. God said, I'm going to give you a strong forehead because the people you're preaching to are rebellious and hard-headed. So you're going to butt heads with them a lot. So God said, I'll strengthen that metaphorical forehead so that you can get the job done. He tells him what to say, and then he says this, Thus saith the Lord God, smite with thine hand, 
and stamp with thy foot and say, Alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. So he says, Preacher, when you go out to preach, you tell them they're going to be destroyed, and you slap with your hands, you stomp with your foot, and you say, The Bible says you're going down. <laughs> I know, you're saying, some of you go, Oh, no. This is the freedom de kerk. No, this is the verkeerde kerk. Come on, gaan. There are some messages that require that body language, requires that tone. Amen. Now, I, I know you might be scared to amen that because you're like, oh, no, no, let's not encourage Brother Mike to go back down that path. <laughs> some of you have been around a while. You know that Brother Mike can go down that path. I, I, I can crank the engine. Even though I'm getting a little older, I can still crank that engine. Amen. Ezekiel had a strong forehead. And he had to say it like that because the people were hard-headed. But let me give you the other side to this. Isaiah 40, verse 2. The same preacher that God said, cry aloud, spare not, voice like a trumpet, right? Same preacher. Different context. Isaiah 40, verse 2. He says, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. He says, now, say it loud enough for everybody to hear it. But this time you're saying it comfortably. I'm saying this not because you're rebellious and we're against each other. It's not that. He says, give them some good news. You say, anytime we're excited, honey, I got the promotion. Right? Huh, honey, it's been a great day. I mean, we're excited. We cry that out, but we, we say it comfortably. We say it in a way that's very easy on the ear. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians, in case you're thinking this is just an Old Testament thing. Paul asked the Corinthians, what will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or with meekness? See, you pick the tone. It all kind of depends on, I guess, the condition of your forehead. If you're going to be hard-headed, I might need to bring the hammer, right? So it depends. So God will tell us what to say and how to say it. Should we then not also allow God to tell us the words to sing and how to sing it, right? So take your Bible, come to Matthew chapter 11, and we're not going to make it, we're not going to finish. I'm not even going to try. I think this will be a nice stopping point here. Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> now, you can go home today and say, you know what, I prefer that smite with the hands, stamp with the foot. I like that. Man, ooh, there's something about that. You gets me going. Amen. Help yourself. Others of you say, you know what, I'm a little more comfortable with the slower, gentler approach. Who's right? The guy who likes the loud ah, or the guy who's quiet? Who's right? Both are. Do, do you see how you cannot draw one line in the sand and go, everybody has to preach with this same style? That would be ridiculous. That, that wouldn't work. I got to Malawi. After preaching to you guys for some years, I got to Malawi, and I stood up and I said, Madzukubanji, and I said it like that. I said, good morning, I'm here to preach for you. And afterwards, one of my guys said, yo, Brother Mike, what has happened to you? <laughs> what has happened? Hey, have you lost your fire? <laughs> that style doesn't work there. 
Now, I'm, I'm not saying pander to the people, give them whatever they want. Right? I'm not saying that. That's what I say. You don't want to go all the way to certain extremes. But you don't want to draw one line in the sand and go, okay, well, because in South Africa, this seems to be a better approach. This is how God leads me to preach to my sheep here. Then that's the only way to preach everywhere. That's not true. That's why you've got to have a little gray area in the middle. Matthew 11. Watch, watch this. I, I found this fascinating. Verse 16. Matthew 11 and verse 16. Jesus says, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children. Ouch. <laughs> Think about how that's received. You bunch of immature people. It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. What is Jesus illustrating? He's, he's using illustrations for his ministry method, his approach, compared to John the Baptist's approach. They, they had different preaching styles. They had different ministry styles. The, the content of their message was the same. They were both preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, turn to God, right? They, both pre they were on the same page with the lyrics, the words. But the style, the, the melody of it, John had more of a somber, serious, grave tone to his preaching. He mourned unto them. He said, you brood of vipers, you generation of, of vipers, repent. The axe is going to be laid to the root of the trees. He had no patience at all with the Sadducees, Pharisees, straight to the point. Repent or perish. Now, Jesus could also go that way. At times, he also preached that way. But Jesus would at some times go into the house of a publican and have a meal. He never lowered his standards to that of the publican. He never adopted the tax collector's manner of living in order to win the tax collector. But he would, he would go and sit down and talk with them. And at the table, having a, a lecker is it chasels? Chasprek? Methala? He would tell them, you guys need to repent. But it was a much softer, gentler thing. So Jesus comes piping, right? Different, that's kind of a more upbeat thing. They didn't dance. He says, guys, we have tried both methods and nothing moves you. Nothing moves you. Rather than worry about, oh, I like this style, not that style. I came to this church, and I'm not used to that music. Listen, I, I know we can't please everybody. When you're at home, you have to have some spiritual discernment. You have to choose music that pushes you in the right direction, right? That's a, that's a responsibility for every individual. But while we're in church, we'll talk more next week about this. As the pastor, I have to make some of those executive decisions. So I would ask that you give us that grace to stay within the boundaries of that, you know, middle-of-the-road stuff, to stay within what we would consider spiritual music, get behind it with all your heart, and sing unto the Lord. John the Baptist, Jesus, never did they pander, never did they give flattering words, never did they tell their, the crowd they were preaching to, guys, you're just fine the way you are, let's all just get along. They never adopted worldly techniques to draw a crowd. But they did preach the same truth different ways. So we can sing the same truth, maybe from different styles. 
and that's okay. We'll find what works for us. But never do we want to adopt this posture, this attitude to say, okay, what will draw us the biggest crowd? If we start with that in mind, how can we attract the most people? Well, then let's use whatever music they like the best. Then I think we've started not from a spiritual position, we've started from a worldly position to say, we'll not let God tell us how to orchestrate the music. Let's allow the world, let's allow the people to tell us. Listen, why would we go to the outside world and say, what would make you most comfortable in our church? Tell us what will make you come. That's never how God operates. God says, you stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, whether it's in meekness or with the rod, either, whatever they need, but you tell them the truth. Don't pander to the people. Offer them the truth. And that is our desire. Next week, we're going to pick this up again. We're going to look more in first, we'll start in 1 Corinthians 14, where it talks about how music should be used to edify the church. We'll pick it up there. As I close this, this I'll say more about this in the announcements. We have a great opportunity. There's a family that are missionaries to Germany, and they're just about to head to the field to start their ministry there. I've invited them to spend a few weeks with us here in South Africa because, man, can they sing. The whole family, man, his wife, they have four kids. We're not sure how many of them will come because all of those kids are grown. They're in their 20s. I think one's even 30 now. They've made a few CDs. I was in a missions conference with them, an outstanding family. They would like to come and just help our church take the next step with music. I told them, we do good. You guys sing good. You do I love our song services. I've missed it these last three months. But I think it's also great if we can get a little encouragement just to do even more with music. So I, I, I'll tell you more about that in the announcements. Let's all stand. I hope this has been helpful so far. Let's have a word of prayer and let you guys fellowship for a bit. Father, we thank you for these biblical principles. We pray that you'd let these things sink into our hearts. And Lord, in a few minutes as we come back together to sing, we want to do that unto you. We pray that your hand will be on our fellowship, the singing, the praying, the giving, the preaching, all that is to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take.